J.J. Cooper, Teddy Cahill here, another Baseball America Prospect Podcast. We are diving deep into the Guardian system today. Teddy Cahill wrote our Guardians, and so he's been nice enough to take a break from what has been a very busy month of college baseball prep. We're both very excited that college baseball is just Division I college baseball just around the corner. I want to say that because we do have some college baseball already going on, but Division I baseball just around the corner. But we're going to talk pro baseball today. And Teddy, how are you? And again, how how's your uh, sleep deprivation these days uh, with the, the college preview largely in the rearview mirror now? Yeah, we're actually pretty good on that front. Um, by this time next week, we'll probably be facing a deficit again. But uh, it's uh, it, it it was a lot of fun to to work through the preview stuff. It'll be a lot more fun to watch the games. Uh, and I'm sure that everyone is also just chomping at the bit to, to get to spring training. Um, although that, that I feel like only lasts for so long. And then you've kind of moved past spring training almost as soon as you get to it, people are like, where are the pitchers and catchers reporting? And then they report and they're like, all right, let's start okay. the season now. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas on the college baseball side, it's like Friday it arrives. And then it's like, it's much different when you say, okay, when is conference play begin? Because you can really enjoy non-conference play, and there's some really good series before conference play. Very different, you know, scenario. But yes, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to to dumping to diving deep into college baseball this weekend. And you'll actually be, uh, you know, bouncing around uh, around Florida as, as we have opening weekend of the college baseball season. But that's not why we're here today. We're here today to talk about the Cleveland Guardians and kind of the state of the system. But before we even get into the state of the system, Teddy, kind of where, where do you see as the state of the organization right now? Coming off of a 76-win season, which is the worst season for a Cleveland club since 2012, a team that's been pretty consistently over 500 or at its worst right around 500 every year since then, is last year kind of a... A frightening side of sign of what's to come, or was it a a step back before a step forward? Or how do you see where this organization is right now? Last year was really confusing. Um, I don't need to tell any Guardians fan that, but like they started the year with expectations of competing to win the division, as they always do these days. Um, it was kind of muddled out of the gate. Never really got things going. Uh, then it looked like they'd fallen out of it. Then all of a sudden they were back in it and they made some like that. Both of those things impacted how they approached deadlines, both the traditional trade deadline. And then at the end of August, uh, and then ultimately they were not able to chase down the twins. And I think at that point, things just kind of got away from them at the end. Uh, Terry Francona was a thinly kept secret that he was retiring. They'd, expended all this energy in August trying to get back into the race. And then uh, when the twins finally delivered the knockout punch, I mean, I'm not watching the games every night, but I, I have to imagine that emotionally that um, that had an impact that things just kind of got away from them down the, down the stretch. So the fact that they only won 76 games, I don't think that's like massively, you know, relatively still close to 500. 
Um, and you know, the, the, where the organization is, is an interesting spot. They're one of the clubs impacted, uh, by the RSN stuff. Um, one of the clubs most impacted by the, the Bally diamond MLB ongoing decision dispute, whatever. Um, so that's been limiting over the last, I would say probably two, two off seasons now. Um, I, I think that though, when you look at the organization as a whole, the decision makers are the same guys. Um, you now have a new manager that'll be a little bit different, but this last decade has been so consistently solid. They've built to this point. I don't think that that has to change now, obviously losing Francona hurts. Um, we can debate how much managers matter, but the fact that you're losing a guy who's going to end up in the hall of fame and replacing him with a first time manager and Steven vote. Um, I mean, that, that has to matter on some level, at least for the first season, you would think uh, just not having that kind of experience, but broadly speaking, I think the organization is still on, on solid footing and, you know, let's also be honest about it. They play in the AL central. None of these teams are head and shoulders above the others. Um, no one is, you know, there, there's no behemoth here. Uh, th- there's no reason to think that the, the Guardians can't keep pace with, with the rest of them. Uh, if, if this was a, if the Guardians were in the AL East right now, I think we'd be having a, a much different discussion or the NL East even for that matter. But you're right. Being in the AL Central does kind of give you, you are in a different spot than you would be AL West, we, NL West. I, literally can, any other division. Yeah. Like the Cubs, the Cubs, like if you put, if you switch the Cubs and the White Sox, the Cubs would like come in and expect to boss this division. Uh, the White Sox, because of a variety of reasons, starting with the ownership, like they don't operate in the same way. Like there is no Cubs, there, there is no Dodgers, there, there's no none of the, none of those teams. They just all kind of, even the one big market team, uh, two, if you want to count Detroit in that, like they all kind of operate in a similar manner. And the the thing that does jump out with the gardens on that is, is that I, I don't, as you kind of put, I don't think they ever go into rebuilding mode, but at the same time, they do kind of operate very much in, in what I would describe as you, if just speaking of an AL East team, you could talk about the Tampa Bay Rays in a similar situation in that they're a con- a team that's constantly trying to regenerate at the same time. Because as opposed to what this team may have done 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you kind of know payroll's probably going to be pretty tight. And so they're going to, with a few exceptions, the Jose Ramirez exception, they're going to be trying to turn over the roster to kind of maximize their long-term window. Is that a fair, uh, a fair way to put it? No, I think that's absolutely what's happening. Like they, they are always going to try and be competitive because they feel like like there's no reason for them not to be again in this division, like bottoming out doesn't, I mean, like we'll see what happens to the Royals and Tigers long-term, but bottoming out just isn't necessary. Uh, They have the players that they need uh, to, to be relatively consistent They'll always look to extend a player if they can get it at the right price. Like Jose Ramirez signed a below market extension. Like if he had gone to free agency, he could have gotten more money. I'm sure of that. So if you're a player that wants to be a part of that, um, you know, they're happy uh, to 
work to try and find a way to to make that happen. Um, but there, if you're going to try and maximize your value, like they they get that too, and like they'll figure out a way to maximize your value as long as they they have control. Um, and, and so I I think that that's just kind of the mo here, uh, and they've been very successful at threading that needle, like pretty much every deadline you hear the idea that they are both buying and selling because that's just kind of the space they have to live in. Like every off season, anytime there's a transaction window open, like uh, any off season, any trade deadline, they want to like, they're trying to compete. They want to win now, but they also have this, eye on the future. They're, the chips are never going to go all in in Cleveland. They're always going to be trying to find the balance of competing this year, but also competing for the next three to five years. So the the most important question I could probably ask you on this is, okay, so now talking about the farm system, is this a farm system that is ready to help ensure they can compete in 2024? Or is it a system that's a little bit more slanted towards guys who could help more down the road? I mean, I think there are guys that you can expect to see this year. Um, you know, Brian Rocchio obviously has a chance to uh, be very impactful this season. Um, the The shortstop position is relatively up for grabs, and he's part of the, uh, the the group that would be competing for that. You've got Kyle Manzardo. Um, I don't think you'll see him immediately, but uh, that that's a, a big bat that has AAA experience that they can um, – they can move into uh, into the big leagues. Uh, you know, Valera been waiting a while for that one to to come come home at this point, but he's got upper level experience. And um, you know, there's some guys like that throughout, like Cantillo, and uh, they made a Rule Five pick with De Los Santos. So I do think there is um, this year impact, but there's also uh, long-term impact in, in the system. I, I, I think that they, they right now have a, have a decent mix of that, despite the fact that they graduated a lot of players over the last two seasons. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that's kind of a perfect way to dive in is with brain Rocchio, because I do kind of feel like to kind of what you said, this should be the season that he becomes the everyday shortstop. And I kind of think for for him and the and the club, if not, that would really kind of be disappointing because there's really at this point he he debuted last year, he's had now a, a decent bit of time in the upper minors now. It's really it should be his time now. Is that uh, a reasonable expectation if you're a Guardians fan for 2024? Yeah, I mean I I feel like it is. If you if you look at what they've got at shortstop, it's Rocchio, it's Gabriel Arias, um, and then it's guys that you feel like are more, um, I guess, utility types. Like Andres Jimenez could play shortstop, but like he's also a gold glove second baseman. Why, why are you moving that uh, around? Uh, Tyler Freeman, Jose Tena. So like there is nobody standing in his way now. Uh, so I, I, I do think it's reasonable to say that this is Rokio's time. And if it's not now, it's reasonable to ask when, if ever, on the other hand, he only just turned 23 last month. So like still relatively on the younger side, but but also at a time where you would expect him to be ready uh, to go and, and claim that as, as his own. Have the, the, that's one thing that kind of 
do worry about a little bit with these Guardians is, is that they've had a couple of times where they've had multiple options at positions, which can sometimes lead to kind of the tyranny of choice of like, okay, do we, is it this guy or is it this guy or is it this guy? And I, I think the, the one that kind of has been a little bit troublesome in, in recent years is, is in the case of Nolan Jones, it never was his time in, in Cleveland. And then he gets moved and, and then it's kind of his time. I, I think with Will Benson, I wouldn't probably go that far. I think Benson had a good year in a much more limited role with, with Cincinnati and a good part for him and all that. But, but is it, is it reasonable to worry about their, the fact that there are multiple options here where or I, 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 that's where I kind of, I guess, feel like that it should be Rokio's time. And I, it would be really worrisome to me if it's like, no, we want to see what Tenna can do this month, or we want to see, take your pick. It, it kind of needs to be his time to where they can actually say, here's our next young cornerstone type player to build around uh, on a team that, again, some of those are, Jose Ramirez has been the cornerstone and he still is, but you know, he's getting a little bit older now. I, I'm sure that other teams have like, like they must. Like I just as a Clevelander, I, I I can remember all of these, right? Like Giovanni Urshela, and like you're talking about Jones, and like uh, you can keep running through this list for for some time. And the tricky I think it all just kind of goes back to um what I was saying before about this, they're they're constantly in contention issue that they to break in any rookie is not the easiest thing some people like to say that francona wasn't good with with young players or whatever like i don't i don't buy into that but if you're trying to win now which they always are it can be hard to live with the rookie especially in a position like shortstop uh, to just give him the run and say, we'll live with this because, it, you know, the margins are, are, are thin. And I think that's, they've gotten caught up with that in the past. Um, I feel like though, they've kind of cleared the deck. Uh, like, yes, Tenna and Freeman, like they like them. They have various things invested in those guys, Gabriel Arias too. Uh, but like they've really cleared it out for those guys to compete in spring training and coming out of spring training, whoever it is, should be given a very strong runway to to work with it. So if it's Rokio, if it's Aries, whoever it is, um, and they they have known that this was coming for a really long time. They've been working with this increasingly large logjam of middle infield players. Um, you know, they picked Jimenez for second base and now they have to make a decision at shortstop. And so I, I do feel like everyone in Cleveland has, has worked to this point and now they have to like, they, they tried to use the end of last season as a little bit. Um, and now they have to really use spring training and the start of this season to, to make a decision. So some of the most intriguing, most exciting prospects in the guardian system are a couple guys we haven't mentioned yet but also players who that the, the health question becomes a very vital part of their discussion. And we're going to dive into those right after this quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back. So, Teddy... When you look at this Guardians system and you look at the top of this Guardian system, the other thing that stands out to me is, is that there are a couple of prospects here who, if healthy, if fully healthy, are probably the highest ceiling, the highest upside, or some of the highest pro- upside prospects in the system. But that's a big if. Chase DeLauder came back last year, has had injury issues, but thankfully was back on, back on the field and in looking healthy last year. But more importantly, how realistic is it to, to, I mean, we can be hopeful, but how realistic is it to expect much out of Daniel Espino coming, you know, coming off of uh, a pretty significant and kind of derailing, uh, you know, shoulder injury? Yeah, that, so like that's the impossible one here is that what is Espino going to be like? Because prior to the injury, you could argue that he was – at least from a stuff perspective, the best pitcher in the minor leagues. Like that was certainly kind of the read in spring training uh, a couple of years ago. It's been a while since we've seen that Daniel Espino though. And the surgery that he had in, uh, in May to repair his shoulder, um, I guess the recovery estimate off of that is typically 12 to 14 months, which implies that he could pitch sometime this summer. Um, but I mean, you're probably looking at another mostly lost season. He uh, not only is he still on the younger side, but he also uh, has a like physical training has always been a really big deal for him going back to the time when he was in high school. Like, so it, it's perhaps reasonable to think that he would respond better to surgery than uh, somebody else. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're really more talking about like a, he'll be full bore in 2025. Like he might at some point be classified as fully healthy in 2024. And, but I, I can't imagine that they would let the reins off of him until 2025. So it's, uh, it, it's really tough with these shoulder injuries. And uh, I mean, I, I hope he's able to get back to it. Um, there's reason to be hopeful about it, but it, it's like, like you said, 
how much of that is is just like want and how much of that is based in uh in actual medical science but flipping that to to Delauder, is it more comfortable to say that his kind of his injury issues are now behind him is is kind of largely one injury that kind of kept coming up kept coming up but does it does it seem reasonable to think that that's kind of in his past now I would think so. So, I mean, like it was the foot, which he broke his early in his junior season uh, at James Madison in 2022. And then he had to have another surgery on his foot about a year later. And that delayed him making a professional debut until June. He hasn't had any issues since. Um, And so I think, yes, like it's not like he's injury prone just because of that. He my my biggest concern with the lauder has always been like he just doesn't have reps and that is partially due to the injury partially due to his two-way playing status when he got to jmu and and partially due to the pandemic and um all of those things should be behind him now and he should be able to to get the the reps that he needs are those the guys though like you said espino is kind of more of a a wait to the future but if you're a guardians fan is the the guy to kind of be most hopeful about this year because this will be kind of that chance for him to really show what he's doing and kind of i i know that he he got going last year he got to go to the afl as well but it feels like that this is the year where everything all of that's now kind of in his past and hopefully we see the guy who who we got all excited about when he was at james madison I, I think that's fair. I mean, a lot of guys, I mean, even on Baseball America staff, got plenty excited about him once he started playing uh, in 2023. And I would say that, yeah, like now you're looking for, like he'll be at an age-appropriate level the whole season. Like they could push him if they wanted to, but it, it's not like, oh, he has to get his feet under him to start with. And what's he really doing in high A? Like none of that. So yeah, I, I think this is kind of, it's not like a show me season, but it is an opportunity for him to justify, not, not justify, but like to, to prove that he is what people say he is, that, that the excitement is, uh, is real and, and that he is coming because now that he is, is playing, he's played in the AFL. He could, he could move quickly. Uh, like that, that is certainly a, uh, a plausible outcome with him. Okay. How much of the Jason Churio excitement has to do with his last name and how much has to do with just how good of a prospect he is? I mean, like the last name is real. Like that, that is part of it. And <laughs> avoid that. <laughs> uh, but like, it, it also makes sense, you know, that like, Hey, like I'm his, I'm this guy's brother. And like, yeah, Jackson is, is really good, but like, a lot of the reasons why he's really good, like I, like they are, they, they, some of those are transferable, right? Like um, he, J- Jason in his own right is a, uh, is a quite exciting prospect. Um, you know, there's uh, there, there's a lot of bat to ball skills right now, but there is still belief that there's some power to come. Uh, you've got a plus runner uh, like it, it just in terms of athleticism and projection, uh, you know, if you're not going to be excited about DeLauder and you should be, but like, if you're looking, if you're saying like, eh, Chase DeLauder is too mainstream, he played in the AFL, like Churio is the guy that you should be looking for to make some kind of breakout in 2024. So, uh, yeah, that, he is a guy who, if his name was 
Jason Hernandez, he'd still be really intriguing to to watch because of that hitting ability. Obviously, being Jason Churio makes it even maybe a little bit more exciting. But okay, the the other question that I think is a standard one with the Guardians is this is a system that consistently has shown that it can develop and very well develop and improve pitchers who come in at one level and then find another gear thanks to the Guardians development system as well as their own hard work. Is there someone who fits that category, uh, you know, on this year's uh, top 30? Well, there are a couple guys. Like, I, I'm not sure that we can identif- identify the next Bieber or BB off of uh, off of this list. Um, they've gone in a slightly different direction. Like, there are still guys like that in the system. Those are, I, I just don't want to put too, like, if Parker Messick became one of those guys, like, sure. I, I just don't want to like throw that on him. What I'm more interested in is uh, they took Alexander Clemmy uh, with their second pick in, in the draft, uh, which was uh, he, he was a second round pick 58th overall out of Rhode Island. He's a little more out of the Gavin Williams mold where it's like, he's big, he throws hard, there's some hope that he can find the control, but we have to we have to help him with that rather than like Bieber and BB, where it was like there's control and now we'll help him find velocity. And with that, the rest of his stuff will bump bump up. So I feel like Clemmy and Jackson Humphreys kind of both fit that like big throws hard. We're going to help them find control bit. Um, they're both high school guys. I'm really interested in Clemmy. Uh, it's uh not often that this organization takes high school pitching uh, that high. Um, So for them to put this much faith in him and to say like, yeah, we can, we can be the ones that, that unlock him completely. uh, I'm, I really want to see what that looks like this year. That's going to be, I, 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 I I do kind of throw Messick into that group too. I, I, you mentioned him briefly. I I do want to see kind of what happens with him as well. Um, to kind of, you know, again, just diving in a little bit, like we're, as we kind of go through this list, you mentioned about, we talked about the, the log jam at the upper levels when it comes to middle infielders, but the, the guardians also picked up Khalil Watson, who was a first round pick not that long ago for the Marlins. Is there still hope for Khalil Watson or is that more of a, a flyer? Do you think at this point? I felt like it was a flyer. They might, uh, want to say that it was a little bit more than that, but I, I felt like it was a, like, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a chance, like give him a breath of fresh air. Like what can change of scenery do for him? The, the tools are still there. He's a very different player than what they typically, what you would think of with a typical Cleveland hitter in that he is pretty aggressive. There's a lot of swing and miss. So I think this is actually a potentially really interesting developmental uh you know uh, project for them like can they take a guy who uh had a had a strikeout rate of greater than 20 26% last season can they get him to be more selective uh and he's shown that in his past uh but but he, he also has some tools that they don't have a lot of in the system like there's a lot of bat speed and stuff so if they can find a way with him to to work through some of those issues like I mean, I think that could be a, a huge success story, but there is also a little bit of like, 
well, there's a reason why it hasn't worked to this point there, and they're going to have to find a way to uh, to bring the best out of him. So to wrap this up, I, I want to ask you about something that was very unexpected, I think, if you're a Guardians front office official or a Guardians fan, which is how important do you think it's going to be that the Guardians from out of nowhere basically won the lottery? And so we'll have a, we'll have a better draft than they ever could have expected. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really significant because you're looking at an organization that I just said, like, they don't bottom out. So, like, you're not looking at it's not like they would have been looking at like, oh, well, maybe next year we would have lost 120 games and we could have gotten that pick a little more organically. I know that it doesn't happen purely organically now, but they're they weren't going to do that. It doesn't seem like anytime soon. Uh, And it's kind of hard to envision a scenario where they would have like come into that pick. Uh, so for them to get that, I think is really significant. I mean, first of all, it opens up the access to the elite players. And, you know, right now there's no Paul Skeens in this draft, but I mean, this time last year, there was no Paul Skeens in the draft either. So uh, we'll, we'll see what transpires with some of the the players they could pick. Uh, but I mean, you get, you get a shot to, to pick the, whatever player you want, like you, you have, you have a completely open board in front of you, which they've never had before in, in the organization's history. Uh, but you also get all of the pool money that comes with that pick. And, you know, again, because it doesn't look like there's a Skeens or a Rutschman, uh, you're probably not going to use the full pick allotment uh, because almost nobody requires the full pick allotment at one, one. So then you can strengthen elsewhere. Um in terms of what players you're able to, to pick. And I'm sure that the, uh, they're going to be able to be pretty successful at, at finding good values and, and making that money work for them as, as hard as they can. Uh, so I, it's, it's a really big deal because, you know, whoever they pick is very, like there's a, there's a very strong chance that they get a new number one overall prospect in July and then that they also are able to uh, to add a couple more significant pieces in the second, third, fourth round. It's one of those things where I completely agree with you that this is this is kind of to me one of the things is is this is exactly what the draft lottery was supposed to do, which is the Guardians had a a poor season by their standards, but they they get the number one pick. They won seventy six games last year, as you said. They were. They were 53 and 53 at one point and then tailed off over the second half of the season. That's very different than you win 49, 52, 53 games and get rewarded with the number one pick. It means now that we saw an example of how, and the Reds pick second as, as well. Uh, it's it's something where you it's not only the pick you get, but as you said, it's the bonus pool money that you get with that, which just gives you options. Whoever they take at one, even in a what currently appears to be a deeper rather than top-heavy draft, is almost assuredly going to be a top-100 prospect next year. Well, that's valuable. And that's valuable whether you're developing yourself or whether you trade that player down the road or whatever. That's a player who is a different level of prospect than you can normally acquire if you're picking 10, 12, 14, 16. As you said, the later round picks should also be better because they're almost assuredly going to be able to spread some of that money around. It it does feel like it just does unlock a different key, you know, a different lock for this organization 
it opens up moves that may not have seemed possible otherwise. And the other thing that jumps out with it is, is if they are in it, if they're in the middle of it, um, to at the deadline, it also allows you to be a little bit more aggressive if you need to trade prospects because you know you're restocking. You are currently restocking at that point because you've just finished a draft where you're bringing in what should be some really top level top level talents. It's going to be fascinating to see how that shapes up, but this does feel like the year that more than any we're really now seeing this draft lottery kind of kind of kick in. But I, I want to give you the last word though, Teddy. So what else stands out to you? What else are you looking for, either in spring training or just kind of looking ahead to 2024? What what are you looking to see and to kind of know more about where this Guardians team is going? Well, you asked the requisite like pitching Guardians pitching factory development question. And the the thing that I didn't really like get at or that we didn't get at in this this thing yet is that this is a really hitting level, hitting heavy list. And, uh, you know, again, some of that is like they've graduated guys. They're trying to find uh, more hitters because they know that the pitching is set up and, and all the rest of that. But I'm curious to see who the next generation of, of pitchers are, are going to be. Um, you know, there are some guys that that have the ability to uh, – to make some jumps um, or are they going to have a very pitching heavy draft coming up at some point? Like what is, what is the next step for the, the pitching factory? Um, you know, obviously I'm interested in like the, the shortstop battle and what is Bo Naylor going to look like as he, you know, prepares for a, a full season as, as catcher and, you know, some of those things at the big league level, but just looking at the system right now uh, after many years of just writing list after list that was like shortstop, 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 right-hander, right-hander, right-hander. Here's a left-hander. Here's another shortstop. Like that wasn't my, this, that wasn't the case this year. So uh, where, where they go um, in 2024 and beyond in terms of uh, acquiring the, the next group of pitchers to, to come through the developmental factory, I think is, uh, is definitely something to watch. It is going to be interesting, and we're not that far away from it. But we're even sooner we'll be seeing college baseball. So, Teddy, safe travels and uh, enjoy the first week of the Division One college baseball season this weekend. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. But thank you for joining us, Teddy. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for the download. If you get a chance, we always love it if you can give us a review, especially a, a positive review because it helps us on whatever podcast uh, catcher you are using. It helps us surface us for others. And as always, we want to thank our Baseball America subscribers a whole lot at BaseballAmerica.com. We have the Robo Scout Fantasy Top 100, which is up this week. We have, as Teddy knows more than anybody, because he wrote a whole lot of it, we have everything you need to get ready for the college baseball season because it's here. And we have not just Top 25, but, you know, not, but the in-depth reports on those, conference previews, players to watch, a requiem for the Pac-12, because it's the final year of the Pac-12 as we know it. Uh, so much at BaseballAmerica.com. For Teddy, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. 
there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.